On this episode of The Edge, Clear Edge Marketing CEO and founder Leslie Vickery welcomes Lisa Brzezonic, CEO at Salo. The pair discuss how Lisa reprioritizes when her days get overwhelming, how to carve out what you need to be successful, and why every CEO needs at least two mentees unlike them. They also discuss the importance of leaders who walk the talk and model true work-life harmony for their teams. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Edge Podcast. I am your host, Leslie Vickery, CEO and founder of Clear Edge Marketing. For those of you new to the Edge, we feature executive women in the recruitment industry in an effort to shine the light on the wonderful women leading our industry forward and for up and comers. If they can see it, women in executive roles and understand the day in the life of the C suite, they can certainly envision and be it. For today's episode, it brings me great pleasure to welcome Lisa Brzezonic, CEO of Salo. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks, Leslie. I'm super excited to be here. Lisa, for those not familiar with Salo, perhaps you could share a little bit of background about the company. Yeah, I'd love to. So we are a staffing and consulting firm based here in Minneapolis, but we do work around the country. We have offices in a variety of different locations now with a lot of really great people. And we really focus on doing work in the finance, HR, and accounting space. Thank you so much for that background. And I know we'll dive a little bit deeper into some of the work you're doing with Salo later in the conversation. But first, I'd love to learn more about you and your background and just take a look at your career journey. How did you get your start in staffing? And if you were to kind of think back on your career, what were some of the pivotal moments that led to where you are today? Oh gosh. Well, staffing was not a journey that I was expecting. I think a lot of us say that, right? But now I'm in a spot that I'm so happy to be in. I started my career out in human resources roles and I had a variety of different leadership roles that I had in a couple of different companies. And then I went outside of HR and had some leadership roles as well. And then at a pretty uh, hellacious moment of both high volume work, really busy on the road, as well as raising kids and being kind of crazy, I made a decision to jump out of the corporate world and to get into consulting. So I had an independent small boutique consulting practice of me and a couple of people for about nine years. And while I was doing that, I loved it and I had a great time. And towards the end of it, I was starting to think about wanting to do something with a broader group. I missed being part of a big team. I missed some of the things that go along with being part of a larger company. And so I was thinking about either building a larger firm within what I had or thinking about jumping out and doing something different. And within that exploration, I met the owners of Salo. I actually had met the owners of Salo previously. We referred business back and forth with each other. But when I met them and they talked about the journey that they were on and what they were trying to grow and what they wanted to achieve in the future, I got pretty excited about it and decided to join Salo. But I came in as the chief talent officer. So to help us think about how do we grow our talent base as well as working in our marketing, IT strategy, and those different pieces. So it was a surprise that I was not expecting, but a really awesome surprise. You're right. We hear that very often that a lot of people kind of fall into staffing in unexpected ways. But I do love the fact that your talent and HR background really helped support and is key to a lot of your recent success with Salo as well, which we'll talk about a little bit later I love, Lisa, to reflect on your past because when we were getting to know each other, obviously we've known each other for a long time, but 
understanding where you kind of get some of your leadership background and what really drives you. So growing up, you had mentioned that your dad was a dentist and you said that, and I love this, by the way, I'd never thought of this uh, view as it related to a dentist, but it's so true. The, the thought that he found his work rewarding because the more he helped people with their mouths, the more they would smile. And if he could help people feel really good and smile, it would make the world a better place. What an incredible person to grow up with, first of all, as a role model and a parent, but how did your upbringing really play a part in your leadership style today where you really connect that passion to work? Yeah, well, you, you talked about 50% of it. There's another extremely important part of that, of that equation, and that's my mom. My mom and dad built that practice, that dental practice together. And my dad always had a vision for a kind of practice that he wanted to create. But this piece about helping people really built along the way. His partner in crime and doing all this, my mom had the back office side of this. She did the books and she helped really create what the front office experience was going to look like when somebody walked into the dental office and, you know, really made sure that they hired people that when you walked in, some of the things that you associate with walking into a dental office are fear and concern and, you know, all the things of like, Oh, I got to go see the dentist. And they really wanted to flip that and turn that into something where, no, you're going to come here and you're going to feel better about yourself. And it sounds really corny and cheesy, but they really cared about it. And when you hire for people, if that's what you're trying to create, you will hire different people thinking about that than just thinking about hiring really great technical expertise, which is part of what we all do in the, in the world that we're in. And so that foundation of really being thoughtful about who you invite to come and be a part of your work was just part of my upbringing. I think I've done almost every job in the dental office, except being the dentist. I was a chair side. I did the filing back when there were paper files. I greeted people. I watered flowers outside. I shoveled. I was there to help with whatever I could to start making extra money and help me pay my way through college. I was soaked in by this all the time. And then the other piece that was really, really fun. And at the time I didn't really have a good appreciation for it was my parents have always been really involved in their community. I grew up in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, which is about 60,000 people. And I'm positive that if you go into Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and you talk to five people of, of those five people, they'll probably know my parents because they have been involved in as many organizations as they can to help give back to the community and different categories too, right? Like not just the arts or, you know, cancer or kids, like all of it, they always instilled in us, you know, you're part of a community and you need to make the community better. It's not just for you to take, but a community is to give and to take what is given is expected to be taken and done as much as you possibly can to give back. All these different messages that I had growing up were this thing about potential, right? You have potential to do great things. Don't waste it. Go do everything that you possibly can to make sure that you live the fullest life that is there to live. Our house was always full of opportunities and conversations about what the next thing was that we could go focus on and do. We did all that as a family. I've got a brother and sister and all of us were really instilled with this, like, how do we help other people get to a better spot? And I could give you stories about my siblings and great things that they've done as a result of this as well. It's not just charitable and volunteer work, and then there's work, and then there's your personal life. 
for me, it's always been one thing altogether. And then how do you incorporate that and say your whole life is about a combination of things versus you've got categories where you show up differently. It was kind of a natural extension for me to then show up in a career where I got to really help people be their very best selves. That's always been the common thread for me is how can I help people figure out how to be their best selves and use their talents and their gifts to the best of their ability. And you can see it, Lisa, just knowing, say hello, the way that I do and the reputation you have in the industry, a lot of the work that you've done as well, just on the people side and the culture and so forth that's been developed over the years. It's kind of fun to think about the mark your parents have left in the community that they lived and the practice that they had and the lives that they touched, but also now an opportunity for you really to do the same. And it's kind of fun on the outside to be able to watch and see that really come to fruition in our industry through the work that you and your team and company are doing as well. Thanks so much for saying that. So Lisa, you have been fortunate to be surrounded by strong mentors. And when I think about that, a lot of people struggle with mentors. They want a mentor. They're not sure where to find them or you know, afraid to ask people perhaps if they would be a mentor for them. But you in particular, you mentioned the founder of Room and Board, John Gabbard, being a great mentor of yours. I found this really interesting. One of his leadership traits that stood out to you was how he made decisions that were right for employees, right for vendors, and right for customers. And that it was really the first time you had heard it's important to care more about just the customer and that making sure employees are happy will make a huge difference in your company. And again, I think back to your parents' philosophy and what they really instilled in you growing up and the theme of happiness just continues. So you recently actually led Salo through the creation of an EVP or employee value proposition with the theme around happiness and building a world that works better together. I'd love for you to share with us about the journey and maybe, you know, what led you to decide to do it if there was an aha moment. And a lot of times people talk about making this investment, but they don't necessarily make the investment because it is an investment of time, financial resources, all of those things. But what advice would you share for people on that front? That was kind of a loaded question, Lisa, but hopefully <laughs> it's, it's okay. a good one though. It's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Well, first of all, you have to have a really good partner, right? I guess I'd back up a little bit and say, as we've built Salo and as we've continued to evolve how we work and where we work and with whom, the constant has always been since John Folks and Amy Langer first founded this company, we want to make sure that there's no question that we're a consultant first, right? That we lead with the people who actually do the work here. Like we got to make sure that they're in a position to do the very best work that they possibly can. And so we talk about that all the time. And I think in a lot of companies, it's easy to get really focused on what the customer needs or the client needs. And we care a lot about that. We care amazingly about that. However, my belief is you can't do that well if you don't have employees who feel like they're being treated well and are doing great work that they love to do. You can try, but your odds on getting that done well with people who are, you know, yeah, I'm happy to be here, but whatever. It's just a lot harder to get great client results. You can have a much better shot if you've got people who are truly engaged and doing the work that they want to do with people that they enjoy doing it with. As we've talked about that, we use that platform to make decisions around what are the things that we're going to focus on to build the company? What are the venues that we're going to try to continue to grow, whether it's taking a look at different markets or taking a look at different services? We've always had a lens of, and how will our consultants feel about that? 
as we started talking about how we were going to build to a national brand, part of what became important was that we weren't just building a national brand with clients, but that our consultants understood why and what that meant for them to have a national brand. As you think about that employee value proposition, you've got to do that work because if you don't, it's going to be really hard for it to be really solid and not feel hollow to people about, oh, you're, you're growing to grow, like you're growing to grow revenue. And we're not. I talk about this all the time with our team. Our metrics, revenue, EBITDA are really crazy important, but they're results of the things that we focus on. And so when we focus on the right things, metrics show up and they're really great. But when we focus on metrics of revenue and EBITDA, other things go sideways and, and it's not what we want them to be. That employee value proposition of why are people here in the first place and what do they really want? When we're looking for people, how do we know if what we have is what they're looking for? How do we get that all aligned? It's really, really important work to do. And a shout out to you and your team. Like you guys have been amazing to work with on this. The process that you go through to really get into that, you learn so much about what makes you successful and which levers you should be pushing more and which levers maybe you shouldn't be pushing. Oh, well, thank you for that. I certainly appreciate the shout out and the team just truly enjoyed working with you and your team on the project and seeing the rollout and really the outcome of it and the passion that went into developing it. And then now watching that carry through in everything publicly, it's super cool to see. So I look forward, we'll have to do a follow-up to find out results of it too, and your expectations and what it's led to just for the company. And I think you're right, having people be part of that process really gives them the ownership of the EVP as well and, and what they can take forward. So anyway, again, congratulations and kudos to you for making the investment and seeing the, the importance of that. Again, Lisa, something that stood out to me in reflecting on your journey, and this is kind of personal for me, having grown up in marketing in my career, and then now being an entrepreneur, we actually have something in common in that each growing up in a family of entrepreneurs and you having your consulting business and then helping entrepreneurs when you came on board at Salo, you know, we kind of have something in our DNA that enables us to be successful in that. But that doesn't mean in our journey, we had roles that didn't give us access to the entire lens of what it takes to really run a business. And what I admire about your background is you kept riding the HR train, so to speak, for years. And eventually you had left HR and went in a chief administrative officer role which gave you a lot of insights into the other side of the desk and how the business lines actually operate. Obviously, this is a podcast about executive women in, in the recruitment industry, and we've done a lot of work around DEI and really trying to get under the covers of our own industry and what holds women back. And often what holds them back from entering the C-suite is that lack of experience really managing a PL and in turn not going for it because perhaps we don't check all of the boxes or we don't have that expertise. I know for me, if I were checking the boxes of entrepreneurship, I would have never done it. But I asked for a lot of help along the way to learn how to understand what a PNL is and people management and all of those things. So my question for you, Lisa, is why did you decide to leave HR and go for it? And what advice do you have for others who really want to make it to the CEO role or even in the C-suite? but perhaps they're in more of a corporate role that doesn't give them the exposure to that business side that can help make them you know, feel more confident in going for it. Wow. It's too bad we don't have six hours. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I'd love to talk to you forever. <laughs> I mean, so many things to say about that, right? I think 
The first thing I'd say is I didn't have corporate role models. I had parents who put together a dental practice. And so I was surrounded by that community. I didn't know what HR was when I got to college. I don't, I wasn't even completely sure what HR was when I left college. I wouldn't say that I had role models of how to think about the corporate lifestyle to start out with. What I did have, and I love we have here as well, is curiosity here. It's one of our values. And it's something that I was raised with as well. Like think about what's possible next and ask more questions to understand. That's how I ended up in HR in the first place. I had no idea what it was when I got into my first job. I networked, I interviewed with people and I found this role and I ended up doing the work and I really loved it. And being curious and asking more questions about it and trying to understand how to do it really well is what led me to each opportunity after that. And so after a series of roles in HR that were super interesting, the parts that I liked most was I really enjoyed meeting with business leaders and listening to them talk about what they were struggling with in their business. I just found it immensely interesting. And and what I noticed was that if you really listen to somebody talk about those ideas, they've usually got like a kernel or a nugget of what the answer is. They just don't realize it. And if you help them talk through it, all of a sudden they get to it. And so there were several business leaders that I worked with when I was at RBC that I had a great relationship and we would talk about what was going on and I could help them see the answer. It wasn't that I was brilliant enough to have the answer, but I I was helped them to see that they had it. One of the uh, business leaders that was running the fixed income group, we had a really great relationship and would talk about things like this. And he was talking about bringing in a chief of staff or a CAO. He didn't know what he was going to call it, but he said, I really need somebody to help me be my right hand in this business. And I'm trying to think about who should do that. So we were brainstorming. And then he looked at me and he said, well, you do, this is what you do for me. This, you should do it. And I looked right back at him and I laughed. I was like, what? I I do HR. And he was like, no, you don't. That's not what, that's not what this is. You help advise, you help me figure out my problems. You bring people together. You go build solutions for me. Like you do something really different than when I think of HR. And that was the first time that somebody had actually articulated something like that to me because I had squarely put myself in a box of this is what I do. And so honestly, it was a little terrifying, you know, like you think, you know, what you can do and how you can do it. And then somebody says there's something different that you've already defined as a skill set that you don't have, which wasn't true. And so once I explored it and spent more time talking to this guy about it, and, and I asked some other folks that were on the team I thought, well, what the heck, you know, what do I have to lose? And I think that's the advice that I would give people is to do a little bit more of that, especially when we're early in our career and and we don't know exactly where the roadmap's going to take us. And it feels like some of the things that we haven't done before feel a little bit overwhelming or like they require something different than we think we have. We're pretty quick to be like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'm not sure if that's a good idea. And our ability to take a risk and say, you know what, I'm just going to try it because the worst thing that could happen is I try it and either I don't like it or I'm not good at it. Like those are the two worst things that could happen. And then you go back to what you were doing or do something else. And I think that's where we need more women to act like that. I think that is something that is imbibed in men to start out with. Boys are taught to be like that. And we need to do more of that with women as well and say, take chances. And even though you may not be 100% qualified, hit all of the requirements for what's in that job, who cares? Go give it a shot. There's something in you that is making somebody else see you differently. Go grab that. When I think about people that I have hired into positions, The people that I've been most excited and overwhelmed with once they've started the job, it's usually not their technical skills. It's usually their drive, their curiosity, their personal leadership, their, you know, willingness to do what it takes to get it done. Those are the things that I usually appreciate most 
and the folks that I work with. And when that shows up, I'm willing to make all kinds of time to teach people skills, technical, soft, whatever it is, but to help them figure out how to get up to speed on something. I'll take a chance on somebody who doesn't have a skill, but really, really wants it all day long. And I think most leaders are like that. And so if we could just find ways to encourage each other to lean into what are you excited about? Because when you're excited about something, you'll learn it faster. You'll be more curious about it. You'll just take chances in a different way. Since that moment when that happened, that's what I've done over the course of the next, you know, I guess we're at almost 20 years now. That's what I've done after that. Because when I got into my consulting business, if you would have told me six months before I was doing that, that that's what I was going to do, I would have laughed and said, are you kidding? That's not going to happen. I'm not a consultant. I'm not a coach. I don't do that. But then when I started doing it, I just leaned into, okay, what, what have I got to lose? Just get curious and dive into something. That is the advice I would give for sure. Okay, we need to like bottle that part of the segment and play it over and over and over <laughs> again. I got so much in that. And it's so funny, you know, my husband literally Lisa has a tattoo that says the only risk you'll ever regret is the one you didn't take. Yep. And it's like a constant reminder to himself, but you're right. Men do tend to take more risks than, than women. And I, I love what you said about always be curious and that you really have nothing to lose. I know for myself with my own journey into entrepreneurship, I kept thinking, well, I could always go and do something in marketing again and really tried not to think of it as a failure or something like, well, if I'm not successful here, at least I have that to fall back on just really to know that that's a skill set or something that I can constantly do and not to worry about it. You know, that, what do I have to lose? So thank you for sharing that journey. So Lisa, you believe so much in achieving the happiness you deserve in your personal life, your work life, and you mentioned your retirement life that you actually published a book called Fire Yourself which provides guidance to help you secure your future with a career driven by purpose, passion, and choice. What made you decide to write a book and how did it help you help yourself through some of your difficult times? When we were talking before, you mentioned or referred to it as life really spinning faster than it could, where maybe you actually weren't putting yourself first and risked losing your own identity. Yeah. Well, you know how I said, sometimes you just have to lean in and get curious and people ask you to do things that you didn't really think you were prepared to do. This would be in that category. <laughs> I was not even thinking about a book. It was nowhere on my radar. And in fact, the gentleman that I co-wrote the book with is a financial advisor for my husband and I, and he sends out emails from time to time, blasts emails to all of his clients. I got an email from him saying, did you ever think about writing a book? I literally thought it was a blast email to a bunch of clients and I ignored him twice to the point that he then picked up the phone and called me and he was like, Brazonic, do you not respond to emails? I asked you, do you want to write a book with me? And I said, oh, you're talking to me. I thought you, I thought this was just like a general question. So it was so <laughs> not something that I had ever thought I would do. And I was really intimidated by it, but John Rusciano is his name as my co-author. He was really experiencing a lot of clients. So this is about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago that this probably about 12 years ago that we started the project. He was experiencing a lot of people who'd come out of the recession that were like, okay, well, we're out of the recession and things are getting better. And I'm just going to kind of coast to retirement. I think I can just, I think I can just do the same thing that I'm doing until I retire. And some of those people had 10 plus years left in their career and John was concerned that some of these folks coasting wasn't really going to do it, that coasting might get them fired, that coasting might be not really what 
other people are looking for when it comes to success. And he also was feeling like maybe coasting, you know, in life, while that might sound great, it's not terribly engaging. He was looking for a partner to help him think about the other side of that, which is how do you coach somebody in their life versus just on their finances? I really resonated with that in talking to clients that I was working with. And so we decided to write something that was simply meant to be a resource for our clients. And the whole idea being that if you continue to coast, if you continue to just sort of do your thing and not really look up, you're going to miss a bunch of opportunities. There's opportunities going on right now. And if you're looking up and paying attention, you will see people, meet people, hear about opportunities that if you're looking down, if you're you know, on your phone, if you're doing all that stuff, you're not going to see them. You can live your life by letting other people ask you to participate in things, or you can live your life by asking, hey, what's going on and how do I get involved? And it feels like a good combination of that is a really great place to be. So the premise of fire yourself is if you literally imagine that you were fired tomorrow, what does your network look like? What does your skill set look like? What does your life look like? And are you prepared to go do what it takes to get to the next thing? Then that became kind of this impetus for saying, you know what, instead of waiting for the next thing to show up, you should always be thinking about making sure that you're ready for whatever's going to show up next. And so a great example of that is a lot of us, when we get into companies, our networking and our socializing through work people gets really insulated into just people that we work with. And we don't always do as great a job as continuing to build relationships and stay connected to people outside of the organization that we're working in. And then suddenly when you're thinking about making a change, then you have to go through this huge exercise of, oh my gosh, I've got to reconnect with all these people. People see it coming a mile away, right? Oh, that person's getting ready to look for another job. And that's fine, but a much simpler way would be to just think about how do I constantly keep myself engaged with my network? And how do I think about constantly expanding my network so that I can just learn about what's going on so that I can be constantly evaluating, am I in the right spot so that I can see, oh, wow, look, there's something new happening over here. And I might be interested in that. I should probably ask some questions because otherwise you're really betting that your leader or, you know, people in your organization know exactly what's best for you and that they're going to come and ask you at the right time to do the things that you want to do. And while your leader may care, they probably don't know all the things that go inside your head that make you determine what success looks like. So if you can really come up with an overall strategy, that's not a lot of work to just say, I'm going to make sure that I'm thinking about what I need and I'm not just doing what other people need. It can be a life changer. The part that you were referencing when, when things have been spinning out of control, when I was at RBC, which is an amazing company, but when I was there, I was pregnant most of the time that I was there and taking care of kids and raising my family. We have four children. I was pregnant with my fourth when I left RBC. So I was a new mom figuring out what it was like to be a parent. I was working really hard and I loved my job. I got to do great stuff. I got to travel. And so during the day, during that point of time where it was work time, I was fully, fully in. And when I wasn't working, then I was fully, fully in to being the best mom I could be, which was, you know, at the time chasing little people, feeding little people, doing laundry, cleaning up, spit up, you know, all of of the stuff. Time for me really got sucked away. And so thinking about how to be my best self, taking care of me, Lisa, got a little bit lost in that. And my identity became being a mom and being an employee. And while those are two really important parts of my identity, Part of what I lost was being a friend of being someone who really takes care of their health, of being a daughter of like all these relationships that were so important to me got the fringes because I had two things that I was paying the most attention to. And it really took me a while to understand and think about how do you balance that and not saying that any one thing is ever 
always perfectly aligned, but how do you really think about what's important and then make time for it and make sure that, that everybody understands in your life, like these are my priorities and I'm going to hold myself and I'm going to hold all of you accountable to making sure that I live that life. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there, Lisa, (laughs) especially just thinking about women in general tend to be more people pleasers and wanting to take care of others instead of taking care of ourselves. I love that you mentioned the one, first of all, building your network, not just in your company, but outside and not only building it, but cultivating it. That way, if something does happen to you, like the fire yourself concept, if you were to lose your job tomorrow, could you get help? And would you feel comfortable asking for it? And it's that give and get piece. But really to me, what stood out about taking care of yourself is really being your own best champion. And we often talk about that and your role and promotions and you know whatever that may be, but it's really your best champion in life, whether that be your work life, as you mentioned, the work life, the personal life and retirement life, like really taking into consideration yourself first. Oftentimes we feel guilty for putting ourselves first. If, I don't know if it's just how we're raised and things of that nature, but sometimes it cannot feel good and it should feel great. If you put yourself first, kind of that whole wear your oxygen mask before others, that happiness, as you like to talk about, can really spread so much more into all of your surroundings and everything in your life. So, yeah, I agree. And if we all think back to some of the best things that have happened in our life, most of them happened because somebody told us about something, just this whole thing about keeping your head up and realizing, like connect with people, listen to what's going on. Our lives get better when that happens. I agree hundred percent. All right. Let's focus on, cause you brought up your family and having kids, you really worked your way up the corporate ranks while growing your family. When you found out you were pregnant with your fourth child, Nico, You also received a promotion to relocate to New York. And I can't remember, I feel like it was in the same day. Maybe it was the same week or same month, but take us back in time. What happened next that ultimately opened the door to Salo? Yeah. Like I said, we have four kids. When I was pregnant with Nico, the third Billy was just about one. And life was spinning fast. My husband, who's an amazing partner and dad to our kids, we both were on the road We had a nanny who was helping us keep it all together at home, but it was a lot. I had this grand scheme of wanting to have eight kids. My wise husband was like, eight seems ambitious, which he was right. But at the time (laughs) we were still on this path of four plus kids, not sure how many after four, but for sure more than four at the time that we decided, all right, it's probably ready to start thinking about having the next one. We're really blessed in our ability to have babies. We've, We've been very lucky. And so it was clear if you have more than one or two kids, you kind of know when you're pregnant. And I woke up going, I think I'm ready. I think this has happened. And so I took a test at home and it came out positive. And when I saw the pink cross of I'm pregnant, I completely sat there going, holy cow, this just became real. And life is a little out of control. And what in the world was I thinking? I had a complete panic. I took that test and I shoved it in the garbage as far down as I possibly could. I went to work without telling my husband because I just needed to sit on it for a little bit and get comfortable with the fact that I was going to have to say this out loud again. While I was excited, I was really overwhelmed and I got to work. I was in the fixed income area again, working with the president of that group. And he asked me to come up and have a conversation about something. And he was used to whenever I showed up, my response was, Hey, what's going on? What do you need? I'm on it. Like just drive, let's go. 
I probably looked like I was walking through fog when I walked into his office and he said, you know, we've had some conversations with our tax group and we're going to do a couple different things. You're in New York so much that we're actually going to move you to New York and have you commute Monday through Thursday. They're working on finding an apartment and then you can go take a look at some of them. And my normal response in that moment would have been, okay, sure. Great. Well, who do I have to go talk to? But because of what he said, and because it was literally probably two hours after I had figured out I was pregnant again, I just looked at him and I literally said, you know what? I got to go. And he, I don't think he'd ever heard anything like that from me before. And I literally got up and I went and I walked around downtown for about an hour. And then I went into my office. I closed the door and I called my husband and I said a um, couple things. One, we're pregnant again. Two, um, they're going to have me work from New York. Now they're getting me an apartment. So three, I think I'm probably going to quit. And then four back to number one, I'm pregnant. I can't drink. So we need a really amazing dinner tonight because I'm about to lose my marbles. And <laughs> he being the amazing husband that he is, he was like, all right, so you're, you're okay though. <laughs> I'm like, no, not really. So we had some really good conversation and ultimately within the next week I did quit. There was a lot of conversation about, you know, was there another way to do the job and they were really accommodating, but I just got to the point of the merry-go-round was spinning so fast that it literally that, that day threw me off the merry-go-round and I did not want to get back on. And I had no idea what I wanted to do next. I just knew that the pace was too fast and that I felt like I was missing things with my kids that I just needed a pause to figure out who I was, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it and with whom. And so that was the first step in probably the first time in my life that I'd really done that. I've talked to other women who have the same pattern of getting super excited about stuff, getting a bunch of activity, getting involved in a lot of things. And then all of a sudden going, holy cow, that's a whole lot. I got to slow down and reevaluate. Now I see it coming when that happens and I know how to look and go, okay, there's a lot spinning right now. It's time to take a breath and figure out like, what is the most important thing right now? And how do I recalibrate things that ultimately led me to leaving? And I honestly did not know what was going to happen the next day. After I left about four weeks later, my husband and I were having dinner with our kids at this point, I was about six, six and a half months pregnant. He just looked at me and he said, so do you feel more calm now? And I looked at him really funny and he said, because you're not, <laughs> because you've actually just gotten involved in every nonprofit volunteer activity you can possibly find. And now you're just not getting paid. <laughs> and so I had figured out how to do like every volunteer thing at school. If there was a party or you name it, I figured out how to do it because that was my way of staying closer to my kids, but still doing work. And I didn't even realize I was doing it until we had that conversation it was a good pause for me to realize, okay, so this whole idea of staying home to raise the kids for a while, that's probably not what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to continue to do this. So instead it's time to really focus on what's the work that really makes me happy. And I had started to get a lot of phone calls from people that I was working with on boards or that had left the companies that I'd been at previously and were looking for help. I started doing some coaching with executives. I started getting asked to do some consulting projects. And after a few months of it, I realized that I could put a career together on this and I built a consulting practice. I loved it. I had a really great time. I did it for nine years. I got to travel around the country. I got to travel abroad. I would say that one of the things that would make me a little nutty when I was doing this was people would ask me, you know, when I was going to go back to a full-time job or when I was going to get a real job. 
that's probably part of what got me passionate about working at Salo because I was working at least as many hours when I was consulting, if not more, sometimes I just got to do it on my schedule. I got to flex and decide when I wanted to work versus when I wanted to be with my kids versus do other things. But I was for sure full-time employed and for sure doing real work. And I think that's part of the thing that has changed. I would say in the last 10 years, I think the consulting career has gotten much more legitimized. But I do think that when you're an independent consultant, and I will say when you are a female independent consultant, you got to do more work to show people you're not just doing this to supplement your family's income. It's a real career and it's, and it's building something really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, one, really appreciate you sharing this story because a lot of people, men and women, struggle with the balance of it all and wanting to take on more and, and do more. And the fact that you kind of took that pause and gave yourself permission to do that and your family and you had obviously your husband's support to do that is really incredible. And then if you think about it, often when you read about the statistics, then you think that it would have held you back from doing more. And now look at your role leading Salo, you know, all of the things and starting your own company. And listen, I get it too. We're a 60 person agency and I'll get, oh, that's so cute that you run this little company because we work from home, we're virtual. Yep. So people yep. think that it's not real. I'm like, and it's definitely real, but it's just this perception of what people think and believe. So thank you for sharing that. One of the things, Lisa, that you also bring up though, is you mentioned taking that pause and wanting to spend time with your kids. And I know that having Nico, you had mentioned to me, at least in conversation, and this is a, another really important topic because, you know, the, the latter isn't what it normally seems, right? We often think it's just straight up and down, but I will say 99% of the conversations on this podcast veer in directions that you may never know. And while it can be scary at the time, it's kind of like you said earlier, you know, you've got to be curious about things and what could you lose if you did this? Like you, you should just take that risk and make that happen. But when you had Nico, you mentioned to me that you felt like you were almost getting a second chance at motherhood in your career and that you felt a lot of the guilt around missing things with your first three kids. So I'd love to hear from you you know, what lessons did you take from when you were rising in your career with your first three kids to then when Nika was born? I know a lot of women listening to this and parents in general just struggle with it. So what learnings did you have that you could share? Well, one is not to be so hard on myself. So my kids are older now. My oldest is 23 and we've had conversations about this before. And she's listened to some of the places where I've talked about this with others. And she's like, mom, all the stuff we did when we were growing up, like she'll talk about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we did do all those things. And sometimes when things are really, really busy, you don't really give yourself credit for all the things that you're actually getting done with your family. And for sure, taking a pause to experience it differently is important and necessary. And I wish I would have done more of it. When I've looked back, we did a lot of really amazing things with our kids when I was working really crazy. The part that I didn't make enough time for what I realize is slowing down to recognize it and realize it and also take some time to actually breathe and maybe, you know, take a nap or something as well. But the part that I got much more intentional on when Nico was born was I was like, I'm not going to let work rule my family life, my calendar, right? I'm going to figure out how to say, these are the things that are most important to me. And I'm going to carve out time. 
And by the time Nico was born, my kids started being in activities and doing different things. And so it was, it was a different stage of being a parent as well, because when they're small, it's just a different kind of parenting of what you want to be around for. And you don't want to miss the first words, the first, all the firsts, right? And when you're working, it's hard because I think we all can admit that we all have had babysitters who didn't tell us about a first thing that happened because they knew we'd be crushed that we missed it because we were at work. So those are the things that I think just thinking about how do you give yourself some grace that you're doing the very best that you can and understand that sometimes it's okay to just take a pause and say, you know what, there's a thing going on at kindergarten. There's a thing going on wherever it is, and I'm going to make time for it because every single person that I've ever worked with man or woman, there's been, I shouldn't say every, but there's been very few times where I haven't been able to have a conversation with someone where they get it. And they're like, yeah. I need to do more of that. And if you did it, I would too. I've realized that one of the most important things that I can do in my job right now, and as I've been in different leadership roles, is I've got to model that. We have a new person that's on our team that just joined in the last six or nine months. And he said to me, he said, you know what, Lisa, I love that whenever we have a conversation, you always make sure that you talk about something that you did with your kids. It helps me realize that you're a mom and you're a CEO and that you value being a mom just as much as you value being a CEO. And it allows me to say something about what I need to do to take care of my family. And it just, it creates space for me. And that was, that was a really powerful resignation, that resignation, resonation that I heard that really made me go, you know, we as leaders really have to think about this. You know, I could wax on about what we need to do and how to do it for a long time. But I think the most important thing is really realizing that if you're a leader, you are setting the tone for what it means to be a parent in your company. And you should really think about that. And are you setting the right tone of what that means? And, you know, I've gotten feedback in the past of you sent email at midnight and that's not okay because then we all feel like we have to. I didn't really know what to do with that when that first started coming up for me a while back. And I've thought about it since. And my message, you know, now on things like that is, look, I carve out time when I need to carve out time to do work versus life. And I, I know my priorities and I hope and trust that you all will trust that I will make good decisions. And in turn, I will trust my team to make good decisions on that. So if I decide that on Saturday afternoon is the best time for me to go through something and clean out my email or whatever it is I'm going to do, everybody knows I don't expect a return on that. If you see it, you got to let it go and realize that your best time might be at three in the morning because for whatever reason, your best thinking happens when you wake up at four in the morning and can't sleep. I hope that's not the case, but for some people, it literally is. And for some people getting up at six in the morning and doing work before, like we all have our patterns. And so instead of judging everybody for when they do what, could we just get to a place where we make space and say, everybody has a different life. Everybody has different priorities within their families. And if we can all just agree that we're going to do the best work we can. We're going to be accountable to things we said we'd get done. And we're going to do it based on the values that we've all set at our companies. Then when it shows up in the email box or all these different things, like let's give each other a little grace and a little bit of slack because then we get to design the lives that we want to live versus design lives that other people are telling us to live. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of undoing that needs to be done for people who kind of grew up in their careers where that was the norm, where you did work all of the time. You didn't get to go to your kids' things. And it was accepted that that was okay. And you're basically through your leadership style undoing probably for some people on your team. And then for newer people, being able to show them, you know, the, the way that it, in my opinion, at least in the way we lead that it, that it should be. In fact, I think I sent you the podcast background around midnight or 1230, probably <laughs> on a Sunday. 
and I share this with my team all the time, and I, I hope that they realize that it's to give them permission to do the same. And I really want to lead by example. I am a mom of a six-year-old, and I do want to take some afternoons to be with him or to do special things. And I know that that means I need to make up for other things at other times, and I'm perfectly okay with that. And it also gives them permission to do the same. Going back to those three principles you mentioned earlier, you know, is it good for the team? Is it good for the company and good for the person? As long as we're taking that into consideration when making those decisions, it usually works out perfectly fine. Yeah, it really does. It really does. I just really think this whole thing about carve out what you need to be successful, don't have other people carve it out for you. Every time I'm struggling, when I come back to that was for them, do what I need for me. It always gets better. Well, Lisa, we are just about out of time. Like I said earlier, I think even in our prep, I wanted to keep talking to you. You are such a wonderful leader and role model for all of us. So thank you for giving of your time. I did have a couple of quick rapid fire questions. If you have a couple more minutes to share that with us. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Turning point that changed your life forever. When Nico was born for sure. When Nico was born and I suddenly realized that because four is too much, it was time to be done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you said eight, I almost fell out of my chair. (laughs) I'm like, wow, (laughs) your husband is right. That's ambitious. All right. What is the single best piece of career advice that you would give to your younger self? Be patient, but also be patient with others. Uh, That's a good one. And I loved earlier when you said, give yourself grace. That's an advice that I will take forward to. If there was one thing that you could change that would positively impact diversity within our own industry, what would it be? Every CEO must have at least two mentees and they must be people that aren't like them. I love the piece about not being like them. Diversity of thought is really critical. Yep. Okay. I am dying to know this answer. I'm also a little (laughs) nervous because I have no idea what you're going to say, but what is one thing people would be surprised to find out about you? Oh my gosh. I think there's a lot. Well, can I give you two? The more boring one is, so I'm six, two, and I have got a lot of passion. I usually walk in the room with a lot of like, Hey, and people think they always think I'm more confident than I am. My little voice is always, you know, screaming inside my head. Do you know this? Are you sure you got it? Just as loud as everybody else. And people often are surprised to hear that. So that would be one. And then the second is I love concerts. Like I can't go to enough concerts. I love music. And because I'm six, two people get annoyed with me because I also love to be standing as close to the stage (laughs) as I possibly can. And I love to rock out, go to as many concerts as I can dance, have fun, sing along all of it. It's like my, one of my greatest joys outside of my children. Ah, thank you for sharing. You also have the evil DJ, the song that keeps playing in our head that we need to turn off. And people don't realize that Lisa, they see you and how, you know, wonderfully brilliant you are and, and think that that comes with so much confidence while it does at times, we all struggle with confidence issues. So thank you for being vulnerable and mentioning that. Okay. Do you have any big concerts this um, summer or are you still plotting your course? Well, we're still plotting the course, but the Lumineers are right around the corner and we love the Jayhawks, Minnesota's own Jayhawks. So that's another one of our tops that are coming up soon. Awesome. Good for you. Well, thank you again so much for sharing your story and such great advice. You've given myself, I know, a lot to think about and I'm confident for the listeners as well. If someone is listening to the podcast and they'd love to connect with you, what's your preferred method of outreach? Shoot me an email. You can reach me at Lisa. Rosanic at hellosalo.com. Excellent. Lisa, thank you again so much for sharing your journey with us today on the Edge Podcast. 
I'm thrilled to do it. And Leslie, thanks for putting this together. It's a really awesome piece of work. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening to The Edge. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and subscribe to it in iTunes. Feel free to email Leslie at lvickery at clearedgemarketing.com and let us know if you have questions, would like to be a guest, or suggest a potential guest, or share topics you'd like to see in the future. Thank you.